Yeah, I think the key thing is for investors um, and an everyday person to always think about objective, time horizon, risk. I say it all the time because it's very important. And I say it because it is something that I see many people not paying much attention to, but actually this is at the heart of investing. This is where we start. Hello and welcome to Walk Finance, the podcast discussing all things finance and all things finance related. It's your boy Peter and I'm with my co-host, my bro Jax. How are you, man? Peter, I'm all right, man. I'm doing very well. Um, today I had a bit of work done at the house. Um, it's still going on. The renovations are still continuing. It is a long process, but I am enjoying it, even though my pockets are not enjoying it as much. <laughs> but it's a great process. <laughs> no, absolutely. I definitely feel you on that one, man. Talking of houses as well, we're going to be... We've got an episode coming out soon um, interviewing someone who is well known to this, um, I guess, house purchasing journey as well. So for our listeners, do stay tuned for that. But no, good to hear from you, my bro. Um, and to our listeners, a massive shout out to you um, and just uh, welcome as well, man. Keep doing what you're doing and just supporting in any way you can. We appreciate you very much. So Jax, man, we're going to get straight into it. Um, in you know, previous months or so, particularly this year and the back end of last year, um, which is, of course, 2021, depending on what time you're listening to this podcast. Um, lots of things have ha- been happening across the economic climate, um, you know, rising cost of living, energy, bills. Um, now, unfortunately, um, you know, parts of Europe have gone into war um, and all of this is having so much of an effect on the markets in general. And we've had lots of discussions around how does a be- um, an investor behave during this period and what should we be doing? Should we be taking advantage um of you know particular discounts we might be saying should we be selling out should we all should be doing a lot of different things and one of the things we always talk about is that this journey is obviously you know personal um it's personal to the individual essentially and one of the things we're always talking about is assessing risk so this episode i guess is gonna take a bit of a deep dive into that what do we actually mean when we I mean we talk about stuff like time arise and all of that we get that but what do we actually mean when we talk about risks when it comes to investing that's a great question Peter and you you know you started it off by talking about things like even time horizon and essentially as we've said many many times before we start any investment journey we try to think about our objectives our time frames time horizons and we also talk about risk so that triangle, risk is a very important part of that triangle. And what you find with many uh, investors, um, whether they're retail investors or even professional investors, when they start off with having an objective, that's something they can well define. Um, time frames, um, most people that are long-term investors can define their time frames. The difficult part for most, especially retail investors, is being able to assess their ability and willingness to take risk, mm. but also what the actual risk is. Because yes, we can say, oh, I don't want to take a level of risk here or, or, or so on and so forth. But how do we even know what mm. risk is? And how do we even know the amount of risk we're taking when we purchase um, any type of asset? So that could even be a real estate or that could be stocks and shares or other asset classes as well. So there are different types of risk. And in this episode, uh, I'll mention a couple just to introduce the topic of risk and yeah. why it's important and some things that you may have not thought about yourself. Mm. Um, which you should be considering when you are trying to build, especially when you're trying to build your own portfolio. 
Because if it's someone who uses a platform or provider or brokerage to do things for you, they normally kind of define the risk for you by just asking you to choose a level of risk, let's say between one and 10. So I know a lot of mm. robot advisors would say, choose a risk level between one and 10, 10 being the most risky and one being the less risky. And how that risk is actually defined, they do it for you. Mm. Or you've got platforms that will say, choose between one and three. So they'll say, choose a cautious approach, choose a balanced approach, or choose, uh, let's say, an adventurous approach. And what they're really asking you is to choose a risk level. That's what they're really asking mm. you. Um, and they have the expertise to create a portfolio based on the risk that you've chosen. So yeah. retail investing is more difficult to actually do. Um, and there are different types of risk. For example, one of the risks um, that we talk about is liquidity risk, right? Mm. So what is liquidity risk? Liquidity is basically talking about how easy it is to convert an asset into cash. Hmm. So where we find a lot of liquidity risks, for example, is in a certain asset class, such as real estate, right? Real mm. estate is different from the financial markets um, because it's a tangible asset. It is not a centralized and standardized market. So you can't just buy pieces of random real estate um, in terms of, you know, like the stock market, even though you can buy a real estate investment trust, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the actual physical property. Mm. Um, for that reason, if you want to sell the property tomorrow, you can't right it would take time sometimes it takes months sometimes it can even take up to years sometimes so liquidity risk is something you have to think about when you are buying an asset because in your personal finance journey this thing may be actually difficult you may need the money for something and you may not be able to sell the asset in time to pay for that thing yeah no that's super useful um so and it's great i use the example of property so for me if i had a pot of cash and i was looking at you know, um, if I want to put the uh, the cash into property or something um, or another asset that is more more liquid, I really need to assess um, during that process how liquid something is, and that will essentially um, impact um, the decision I make about where I'm going to put uh, my cash. In. Exactly, exactly, and it really comes down to when you're building a portfolio of assets and really increasing your asset column. You know, it's the key consideration because what you find sometimes is many people, for example, focus on just one asset class, mm. let's say real estate, um, and forget that actually there is liquidity risk. And so mm. something can happen um, and they will need the money very quickly and they can't actually, you know, access that money. And so they have to borrow from the bank. So liquidity risk is something we always think about. Even in a professional world, we think about liquidity risk all the time because clients can ask for money whenever they want. Hmm. Right. Um, and so when we're buying, there are different asset classes. For example, if you're investing in, uh, let's say, higher risk investments like venture capital um, and enterprise investment schemes, a lot of these schemes, you have to be locked up for a specific amount of time. Mm. Yeah. So you have to be um, locked up for, let's say, three to five years, um, depending on what scheme we're talking about. And so there you have to consider the liquidity risk of that. And so it is very important when we are investing in assets and growing our asset column that we think about how liquid um, are the assets that you know, we're investing in and what does it mean for our overall personal finances. Love it, man. Love it, man. Um, yeah, just even getting my project management hat on as well, um, assessing risks, whatever you're doing is just so key. Sometimes put we put it to the end um, or only as a result of something bad happening, then we say, oh, from now on, I'm going to assess risk. But it's so important that we be proactive and plan ahead. These are the risks. Okay, 
if this is, this is the case, how am I then going to mitigate it? So, for example, you know, if you you have all your capital in something like a property, um, and you know there's no way that you can just pull out money like that very easily, but there may be a, a situation where that is the case. So, what is the way to actually mitigate that risk? Exactly, exactly. Um, and and signal of property, um, because this is something I've seen happen in recent times uh, where people have not really thought about the types of risks that comes with investing that is not so obvious. Mm. So, for example, liquidity risk is not the most obvious thing that you think about. Mm. Another one is actually regulatory risk. Okay. Yes. Yeah, nice so long ex- word. Let's go into that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, regulatory risk is the risk that regulations change and it can affect your portfolio. Mm. So mm. let's, let's think about all the people that invested in property, uh, let's say a decade ago or so on and so forth. Um, and they built a very heavy uh, portfolio of, let's say, 20 properties, for example. Mm. Um, these people have been hit by a change in regulation. For example, there's something called Section 24, which um, we won't go into too much detail, but to cut a long story short, it makes investment property a bit more difficult when it comes to taxes and how much tax you ended up paying. And so the more properties you own and the more income you're earning, it, there could be a chance that actually you've over leveraged and you've, you've got way too many properties and it's hard for you to sell all 20 properties, mm. you know, to um, not be hit too hard by this regulatory change, if that makes sense. Mm. Also, if you are uh, someone who is a property investor, you probably know that there's been changes in kind of um, how efficient your, your energy is before you can even let it out. Mm. This is something that can change. And if you've got, let's say, 20 to 40 properties, you have to check this for all 20, 40 properties. Mm. So it is really important to understand that regulations change. And when they do change, you may have to adjust something. And you'd have to ask yourself, how easy is it for me to adjust if regulation was to change tomorrow? Hmm. No, even just as you're saying that, even another example when it comes to regulations, of course, as a result of um, Grenfell as well, you have the whole cladding um external war system so the ews1 form which is um can pose difficulties for people to actually sell um some of their properties when uh the correct uh cladding isn't placed or they haven't been um properly assessed as well so so much things are changing and sometimes you don't know they're coming or you might have short notice as well so so you're so right so important that where we, we try and keep on top and we've actually assessed some of those uh, risks as well. Absolutely, bro. Absolutely, bro. Um, there are even other risks that I wanted to get into. We could talk about market risk when it comes to things like stocks and shares. And that's something that a lot of um, investors actually neglect. And in fact, let's do that first. Let's, let's talk let's about market risk. Yeah. Yeah. So market risk is the risk of um, your assets going up or down or you know, a lot of volatility due to just changes in the overall economy. So the macroeconomy. And this is actually very timely because what happens is when the whole market has been hit through, um, let's say, a black swan event or, or like a pandemic and that kind of stuff, um, or the markets are going down because of inflation. By the way, inflation risk is actually something that exists as well, as well as interest rate risk. <laughs> so you see how all these levels of risk are actually intertwined. What happens is if you are someone who's investing and you've invested in assets, that are, let's say, a bit more speculative, like we spoke about um, a few uh, episodes ago, these are the ones that are more volatile during these periods. Mm. So if you didn't assess the market risk, the market risk, sometimes we capture something called beta. We don't want to go into too many technicalities, but if you haven't actually assessed the, the risk of volatility 
when it comes to investing in certain assets. What happens is when there is high volatile moments, when your stocks drop by 20, 30, 40, 50%, you start to panic because you never really assessed the risk of holding the asset. Mm. And that risk can be captured in different ways. The market risk is, is obviously something we're talking about, but the volatility is something that we mentioned when we're talking about risk. Mm. Remember, risk is not a bad term. Mm. A bad term because essentially investing is taking a level of risk for a return. And the higher the risk, the higher the potential return. But it's about taking calculated risk and risk mm. that you actually understand. Even when it comes to volatility, there's a saying that volatility is the price that you pay for outsized returns. So the person who has the ability and the willingness to take a, level, a high level of risk because they earn a lot of cash flow, they've got an emergency fund, they've got cash for any near-term purchases, and they've got a nice long-term horizon, they can actually you know, take the level of risk and see volatility because in the long run, the chances are they will actually do well as long as they've invested in good quality companies that execute over that time period. Mm. Wow, wow. All of this t- uh, talk, uh, Jazz, is getting me excited about risks, man. I'm loving it. I'm loving, <laughs> calculated I'm risk. Calculated risk. Risk, risk is, is different. You know, taking calculated risk is very different from going to the casino. That <laughs> is, that's gambling. And there's a difference between taking risk and gambling. <laughs> <laughs> Please, listeners, do you check out our latest episode called Investing Versus Gambling. Uh, that's definitely an interesting episode. Um, but no, Jax, that's um, uh, uh, super useful as well. And I think the key thing is really assessing those risks. So from what I'm hearing from you, you know, no asset, whatever asset you put your money into, um, there is always going to be risk. And it's so important you actually um, assess that. And I just actually want to go back to, you know, when you was talking, um, <clears throat> when you uh, you might buy a, buy something or invest in something of a trading platform, um, you mentioned some of those global advisors where they do it for you and they might say, you know, cautious, um, conservative, all of that stuff, or quite high risk. What are some of the things behind the scenes that they do to sort of determine whether it is high risk or very low risk for the um, investor? Yeah, great question. And, and that's why sometimes actually allowing a platform or a provider um, or even an investment manager to do things for you can work in your favor because they actually understand how to pick a mix of investments that actually suits the risk level that you've actually chosen. Mm. So what they would do is they will, um, they will diversify, for example, they will definitely mm-hmm. diversify, but they'll pick a mix of assets in different asset classes that suits your objectives, that suits your risk appetite. Mm-hmm. For example, if you are someone who's young and wants to be quite adventurous and has a nice long-term horizon, and that's what you've chosen, an adventurous type of uh, risk appetite, then they will probably put more money in things like equities over bonds, you know, and, and put money into more alternatives and that kind of stuff over um, something like cash. Mm. Whereas if you are someone who um, goes for a very cautious approach, let's say you're at approaching retirement, then the chances that the majority of your portfolio will be in things like bonds mm. and cash and less risky assets. Even within asset classes, there are different types of risk. So for example, equities, um, stocks and shares, is much more riskier to invest in a company that has just IPO'd, that has never produced a profit, um, though it may be growing revenues very fast, it might be a loss-making company, it's much more riskier to invest in this company than it is to invest in a company that's been around for 100 years, consistently mm. produces cash flow, might not be growing at the fastest rate, but pays a very standard um, dividend, for example. Mm. 
So the professionals know how to do this. The algorithms know how to do this. Mm. It's just unfortunately, most retail investors don't have the skill and the ability to actually choose the investments that really suit their, their risk appetite. Mm. And what's even worse sometimes is they don't even know their risk appetite. I was just about to ask someone yeah. on this, Jax, man. You, you know, you, you've spoken about, you gave an example where someone might want to be cautious because they're approaching retirement or stuff, or you gave the other side where someone might be a bit young. But of course, it's not just age. How, how does one even know what their risk appetite is? Sometimes it might be because... I'm just going to do it. But when something happens, that's when you realize, yeah, I, I don't really think I have that much of a risk tolerance at all. But how does one actually know? Do we have to go through the pain to actually realize? But yeah. That's a great question because I can imagine how many investors now looking at themselves are, are realizing that a risk appetite was not where they, were, they wanted it to be. As, especially for the time of this podcast, we're in early 2022, March, especially this time as well. God. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a difficult one. I guess if you have a specific objective then we can always optimize you know i always talk about the, the trio objective time horizon and, and risk appetite um if you're someone who has a nice long-term horizon usually you can have the ability you have the ability to take a more risk why because if the stock market crashes we've got recessions bear markets corrections etc you've got the ability to weigh it out um in fact if you're still producing cash flow you have the opportunity to buy more shares for example at cheaper prices so generally, the longer your time horizon, the more risk you kind of probably should take, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and if you're about to retire, for example, you don't have that time horizon, then, you know, your objective might be different. Your objective might be for income, right? Because you're retired, you need a cash flow. So the type of assets you invest in are more fixed income products and that kind mm. of stuff. So, you know, you can kind of um, look at a risk appetite based on age and time and the other uh, kind of components of this trio. So if you don't know your risk appetite, you just look at your time horizon and objective, and then, then you can choose your risk appetite based on that. Mm. Um, it's, it's usually those people that don't have a specific objective um, and don't really have a well-defined time frame that struggle to choose their risk appetite. Mm. Um, and it's those people that usually have to experience, um, let's say, volatility before they can actually choose and accept what their risk appetite is. Because, listen, investing and most of personal finance is emotional as well. Hmm. Um, for me, it took me a long time to be able to increase my risk, even though um, I am young, I have a long term horizon, I earn a decent income, so I can actually ride out economic turmoil and, and, and bear markets and that kind of stuff. But it took me a long time to be able to assess my risk appetite, because guess what? I come from a low income background. Hmm. Um, I grew up with a scarce mentality, a lack of mentality. I was a natural saver. Um, I didn't want to take any risks. So, so seeing my portfolio jumped by 5%, 10%. Um, and any given period was giving me heart palpitations, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that's the, I had to really assess my own kind of money mindset. Mm. And that's, I think that's important before you start any personal finance journey. The beginning is to understand your money mindset. You know, mm. understand some people are natural savers, some people are natural spenders, some people can't take volatility, some people can, some people even get a thrill from it, which is gambling. Some people, <laughs> some people, um, you know, it's, it's about really understanding your money mindset. And, and if you want to do that, I guess it's about speaking to someone and learning about it. Um, and sometimes people, you even hit a nail on the head. Sometimes it does take experience. Mm. Um, does take experience of knowing how you react emotionally when it comes to seeing volatility, which is why I preach for the everyday person to try and find a way to take the emotion out of investing by mm. doing things like dollar cost averaging and trying not to look at a portfolio on a consistent basis. Mm. 
No, absolutely, man. And then, you know, everything that you've mentioned in terms of, you know, you know, the individual looking within themselves, their current lifestyle, obviously, as you navigate through life, whether you, you know, you get married, have kids, want to buy a home, whatever you want to do. And that would obviously alter the way you view risk as well. So it is this when we say uh, <laughs> finance is personal, uh, this really is personal to the individual. But that that triangle that you you speak of, you know, the time horizon and the objective, it feels like those two you really need to nail, um, because that will aid you to really assess the third part of the triangle, which is the risk. Absolutely, bro. You've you've hit the nail on the head, and that's exactly it. That's exactly it. The rest the rest can be picked up through experience, but ultimately it is it is that triangle. I'm really thinking about it. And then obviously, yeah, like Peter said, it's personal. So, you know, as your personal life changes, you then can alter kind of, you know, your your objectives and what you're trying to achieve. Um, personally, you know, and even if you're invested for children, for example, if you're investing for your child, let's say someone who, you know, has just given birth and they're investing for a child, if you're a junior ISA, the child has 18 years time horizon, generally speaking, that child can take much more risk, you know, um, so that's something you can think about as well. You know, when you're investing for other people, like your children, their their time horizon and their ability and willingness to take risk is different from yours. Even though you're not going to exactly ask your baby, "Hey, how much risk do you want to take?" <laughs> but again, that's why you know having that time frame and and objectives helps you then kind of decide on well, what, what what's the ability to take risk, and then the willingness is more is more personal and emotional. Love it, man. That's so useful, man. Before we close up on any other um, risks one need to, you know, um, take into account. I mean, you mentioned things like um, interest rate, inflation, etc. Just want to take a pause there to recognize our listeners. Um, we're getting new listeners in um, parts of the world. Um, and we always just give a shout out to you where, um, where you currently are. And Jax, we're going to give a shout out to a city in Michigan and uh, in the US, and that is Detroit. Detroit, Detroit. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, you know, we get quite a few listeners from the US. So big up yeah, the US generally. Um, you guys always showing us support. Um, I, I would love to one day actually have a good conversation with one of you guys to see what it's like in the US in terms of your personal investment journeys and that kind of stuff. But thank you so much for joining What Finance. I hope you're enjoying our, our conversations. Conversations that we wish we had um, at a dinner table when we were young. Um, and I hope you're getting tons of value. That's it, man. Definitely just echo uh, what Jax has said. Um, if you haven't done so already, um, you become a new listener, but please do follow us up on Instagram. That's at Woke Finance Team. Make sure you do um, hit us up there. Any questions that come to mind when it comes to this personal finance journey that you can think of or is bugging you, do drop it to us, man, and we'll be sure to bring it up on an episode one of these days as well. Um, and uh, just a massive shout out to all of our other listeners all over the world, man. Keep doing what you're doing, liking, subscribing, and please download, download um, these episodes wherever you're listening to. It does help us a lot um, on our side. So thank you in advance. Um, Jax, should we close on any other, um, you know, risk for the everyday investor um, in whatever asset to be sort of aware of? Yeah, you know, there, there are many different types of risk to consider. Um, like you mentioned, and I mentioned earlier, inflation risk and interest rate risk are at the forefront of kind of risks to many investors when it comes to, um, to be fair, not even just investors, the everyday person. Mm. Um, so 
I guess we can potentially um, dissect both of them. I think we basically have already in other episodes as to, you know, how to kind of react when, you, when you're dealing with high interest rate environments and yep. high inflation environments. But I guess what's important prior to that would have been to, you know, factor this into your decision making when you were investing in the first place. Hmm. To know that actually inflation is something that happens and it can poise some sort of risks to your portfolio. Similarly, higher interest rates can affect your portfolio in different ways as well. So just really important to think about these things, I guess, for our listeners, the key thing now is to go and continue educating yourself to understand that there are different types of investment risk and what it means for you going forward. Wow, 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 wow. Loving it, man. Thank you very much for that, Jazz. I think this is one of those things where we may not think about too often, but it's just such a key thing. Um, Let's continue being proactive, man, on this journey. Um, And just on that last point around inflation, we did do an episode which was called Understanding the Real Meaning of Inflation. That's episode 44. It's two parts, so do make sure you check that one out. It was a really good one. Um, but now, Jax, man, um, any final words from you before we let you go? Yeah, I think the key thing is for investors um, and the everyday person to always think about objective, time horizon, risk. I say it all the time because it's very important. And I say it because it is something that I see many people not paying much attention to, but actually this is at the heart of investing. This is where we start. We start thinking about these things way before we start picking stocks, way before we start buying real estate, way before we start investing in anything. We should really think about these things because these are the things that really help us then to even pick the assets that actually help and manifest what we are trying to achieve in the first place. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Jax. Thank you to all of you that are listening and supporting. And remember all, stay woke.